0: Welcome to the Adelaide Living Podcast, where we share the stories of the city. Adelaide is a city shaped by stories, those of the traditional owners of the land and of our increasingly diverse community. Each story is unique, but what links them is the place of Adelaide, a city designed for life. So join us as we uncover inspiring stories of the people of Adelaide. After an excellent community and industry response to his first documentary, That Sugar Film, Adelaide-born filmmaker Damon Gamow witnessed firsthand how powerful film can be as a medium for producing positive change. We caught up with Damon on a recent visit back to his hometown for Warm Adelaide to find out what triggered his move from acting to advocating and the motivation behind his most recent doco, 2040, where he presents practical solutions to environmental concerns.
1: When I thought about what the next project was going to be, I thought, well, we've really got to find a way to bring more people into the climate discussion, the environmental discussion. We've been only using, I think, quite negative and apocalyptic stories to try and bring people in. And and all the neuroscience that I researched and the people I spoke to said that we we pretty much have this window of tolerance and people can only take so much before it activates this part of our brain called the limbic system. And when that's activated, it shuts down all the parts in our brain, the prefrontal cortex, where we think creatively and we problem solve. So I just thought there was a really interesting opportunity to reframe some of these ecological problems as an opportunity and a way to motivate people through solutions and to excite them about what might lie on the other side of some of these problems. So it was an experiment in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, it's just been extraordinary response to the film. And again, like with Sugar, just that sort of community element and those screenings has been really heartening.
0: And you mentioned again that the community is overtaking what you refer to as our preoccupation with isolation and our phones.
1: Well, yeah, I think that most people you know, if you explore the things we all value, no matter what our political persuasion is or religion, is that we want community. That's how we evolve. We want to have that shared experience of uniting, and we've really lost that, especially in the last 20, 25 years. So I think any opportunity we can get to promote that, this is why I'm here this weekend, to go to WOMAD and and speak there. But again, what a beautiful festival. People love coming together, bringing their kids, celebrating, learning new things. I think any chance we can get to do that, we should. And, and I think cinema is really special for that. Quite often, especially these days, people are watching documentaries on their laptop or by themselves or on an aeroplane. It's not a shared experience anymore. So I was very um, sort of belligerent with the distrib- distributors to, to say, no, let's do this as a community event. Let's sell out 600-seat cinemas and have a panel, show the film, get people fired up, and they're not allowed to leave that room. They're not allowed to be lured back in by the inertia of the system. They have to stay and have a conversation in that space and let's not let them leave unless they're committing to tangible action, and, and that's what happened, which has been really lovely.
0: Now that was released last year? In May, yeah. Okay, so tell us... There was obviously that fabulous response to it. What's what's been happening in in the intervening period?
1: So the film was um, only a very tiny part of a much larger ecosystem that we built with the film. So we were part of this um, extraordinary initiative called Good Pitch and it was started by Brit Doc in the UK and went to Sundance and it's now in about I think 60 or 70 countries. And ostensibly they bring together six filmmakers, they choose six films, and you have to go in front of about 400 philanthropists and pitch your idea for seven minutes. And they then put their hands up if they resonate with your film and say, you know what, I I really like this issue, I'm going to give you $30,000 and the whole room cheers and whatnot. And so I pitched 2040, which again was this solutions narrative around the climate. And we just had an extraordinary response. We just, you know, raised uh, almost $2 million in seven minutes. And that's not to make the film, but that was to develop the outreach materials off the back of the film, so to develop a full curriculum guide for teachers or a website that could house people's own action plans and how they could get involved. So that wasn't just a film. We had this suite of tools. So the response to that has been quite remarkable in terms of people having entry points after they've seen the film and go, wow, I really resonated with this particular solution wow, there's somewhere I can go now to actually move forward and bring that to life, and that's happened. So one example is there's a a project in the film we look at uh, which is around seaweed permaculture, which is these scientists experimenting with building giant kelp forests out at sea that sequester huge amounts of carbon, create habitat for fish to lay their eggs, alkalise the water. It's a beautiful story. And just through our crowdfunding, we raised nearly 700000 through people's $10 and $15 donations to bring that to life. So just before Christmas, I went down to Storm Bay in Tassie. We're working with the University of Tasmania. That's now happening. It's being built because of our fantastic community that felt engaged, felt inspired, wanted to see that happen for their kids in the future. So now it's happening. So there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes after the film. Once it finished at box office, you know, I still – we do about 15 screenings a week now, whether it's a school, whether it's a bank, whether it's an AFL football club, whether it's a council. We've done about 45 different councils now and they all hold a What's Our 2040 night and they'll invite invite all their residents and the councillors on stage. They'll screen the film and then they'll ask the audience what they particularly want for their own shire in 2040. So it becomes this imagination and visioning exercise, which, again, is what we desperately need right now. We're sort of, as much as this is a science issue, it's also a human problem and it's a crisis of imagination. We've got to start dreaming again and think about what kind of world we do want to live in. Otherwise, we're just going to have that dictated to us because all those decisions are being made right now and we're going to march into a very different 2040 if we're not careful.
0: So your structure is allowing the creativity to Engage because, as you said, too much doom and gloom and we shut off, too much academic science and we fall asleep. So we need to be based on the academic science, but then we need the creative structures to take it and we need to feel that we can operate at a local level. Spot on. So what you're delivering is exactly that, where people can go to their local government areas here Mm -hmm. or shires, interstate, Mm -hmm. and listen, watch your film and then say, this is what we could do this is how we can contribute
1: you know and i think that's how change happens and i think that we've for too long left the scientists to do the communicating and that's not necessarily their wheelhouse they do a superb job of it's dissecting not their it that's right and they took talking language which is you know anthropogenic negative emissions 2 degrees warming a lot of people don't even know what that means but also it's not evocative it doesn't stir the soul we are a species that's evolved to tell stories and we need to take the the robustness of those facts and not let them go, no. but actually find ways to disseminate them and make them more accessible and pal- palatable to the broader community. And that's where I think filmmakers, songwriters, artists, storytellers, whoever they might be, this is the moment to step up. Like Desperately, we need you more than ever to inject and infuse the culture, this knowledge, because we're letting it just sit outside of the mainstream. So how do we bring that in and make it more accessible to more people?
0: The focus on bringing in creative, engaging, storytelling, exciting solutions and operating at the local level, that was part of, I think, what you were doing on the panel at WOMAD mm. earlier this year. So can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so that was a terrific panel. It was a part of the series Planet Talks they have mm-hmm. there. And
0: and yours was?
1: It was uh, the topic was we can fix this. So it was a pretty broad question but it was um, with your Lord Mayor and with uh, Professor Will Steffen, who's a, one of the most respected climate scientists in the world. He's from ANU and a lady named Michelle Lim, who's a uh, environmental lawyer as well. So really great discussion and I think, again, you can just feel from the audience that it feels so refreshing to hear about some of the wonderful things that are going on. They just We don't get that in the mainstream. It's very tricky to get this stuff out and I think that's why, um, you know, having gone right around the world with this film and making it, we are – really a long way behind some other countries and I think a lot of that has to do with our media landscape and who is telling the story, who is controlling the narrative and so we have to again find ways to cut through that, intervene and actually make bring people along and I don't think this constant antagonism and derision is the way to do it. I think the people that are a bit sitting on the fence with this stuff want to be need to be comforted and humanised and brought into this discussion in a in a better way than just beating them over the heads and saying, you've got to wake up and get this. We just don't respond to that as human beings. And and all the science says that, that you look at a great example is the Trump supporters in America, the more he gets derided, the more they double down on their views and say, well, we love him even more now, we're going to vote for him. So I think there's something in that as well, that, that we have to find new ways of communicating and talking about this, that actually accesses that part of all of us, no matter what we believe in, that Values our children's future. That values community. That values health. That values security. They're things we can all agree on. So let's start telling stories that involve those things and actually bring more people into the discussion.
0: Tell us, you trained very, as a very successful actor, and we'll come to that. What was the driver that took you from perhaps telling other people's stories to want to to turn you into a, a advocacy role?
1: I always had a – I mean I, was, I think I was very spoiled in that the first thing I ever did or actually did was Equus here in, in Adelaide when I finished NIDA which was a great show here with Justin Kurzel and some other people. And then from that I, I did a film with Rolf de Heer called The Tracker with David Goldblum and we went out into Arcarula and filmed that. And I just – it was just such a beautiful experience and the integrity with which that was made and, and then the film did really well and we went to the Venice Film Festival and I just got completely spoiled in my first film and kind of thought, well, this is what it's like, you know. And then you sort of experience what it's like to, to do the, the other versions of acting. And and I just started to think, oh, this this isn't for me. And then I had one more experience where I did this film called Balabo, which is about the, the the journalist that had got killed in East Timor. And again, that felt like, wow, this has got some real integrity. And I played a real person. I spent time with his wife and I really enjoyed that. And then I sort of went to America to, thinking that I would try that out. And I, I did quite a big show over there called How I Met Your Mother. And I was on that set just thinking, you know what, this – actually isn't for me like I thought it was and I realised that the part that was appealing there was probably not the best parts of me that was seeking validation or wanting to be um, liked or or, or to to sort of get the ego stoked. I thought this is actually not fulfilling that deeper part of me. I've got things I want to say and stories I want to tell but I just felt at the time probably too scared to step out of that zone and tell them but I just got to a point where I was sick of telling other people's stories as you said and um, just felt like a bit of a puppet. And I was in a hospital bed one night, I had like a blood infection, I was put quite rushed into a ward and it was with three other people and they were all in their mid-80s and I had probably eight days in this ward with them. Fascinating conversations, really enjoyable time. And I woke up at about two in the morning one night and I just wrote myself this letter saying, if you are 85 right now in this ward, are you proud of the things you did? Did you actually step out of that comfort zone and and say the things you really wanted to say about the world? Or did you always hide behind this easy career where you're getting picked up and fed and lauded and people clap you? Or did you have the courage to jump off the cliff? And there was something about that night. I thought, no, I don't want to be 85 and not have done that. I've got too many things I want to say. And so two weeks later, I um, made this little short film, this animation, and my wife said, you've got to put that to Trotfest. So I put it into Trotfest, which is the big short film festival, and it won. And uh, I guess that was the first time I'd sort of got some kind of recognition that my storytelling was resonating, that people liked what I did uh, from my own voice. And then um, uh, it just went from there. And then Madman reached out to me and said, do you want to make a feature film? And there was all this debate about Sugar at the time, and I thought, wow, that would make a great film. You could use all the aesthetics of Sugar and the madness and the Willy Wonka playfulness and make a really fun film. So... That's how it happened. So it, um, and I'm just so glad it did. I feel like um, my life's completely changed in the last six or seven years, and I, I feel far happier and and um, fulfilled than I ever have before.
0: Because it goes right into the core of you.
1: It is. It's effortless, and and it's funny. Even this experience now. I remember when you're an actor, quite often you're playing this game with an interviewer, where you both don't want to be there you, you, you're asking these questions that you know you know so what's it like playing this character and I've got to pretend that well you know it was tough for me and you're both playing this silly game you know and sometimes you feel like oh just felt uncomfortable whereas when you're talking about something that you genuinely love and are passionate about it's effortless and, and easy and so I guess that's testament that there's a flow it's 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 a, it's a lovely place to be in
0: flow is a wonderful place because yeah. of course it it meets the it means the challenge and your capabilities are absolutely synchronized usually in fact the challenge is just a tiny bit more than your capabilities so you do a bit more than you thought you could that's in right. flow
1: yeah and i'm i certainly that's probably my area where i need to improve is being less convivial and putting boundaries in because i th- i can go too hard and i especially with this topic you get people really interesting people reaching out that have huge reach and amplification and they want to get involved and it's very hard to say no to them sometimes because you want everyone to be engaged and talk about this topic but sometimes to the detriment of your own health or your own family so mm-hmm. that's what i'm wrestling with now is the where are those clear boundaries for me to look after myself my family and not sort of make yourself available to absolutely everyone because um you just i've got to be a bit smarter with that
0: now nah. Along with this, with your current work going right into the core of you and the values of you, you are also uh, quoted as referring to the power of using the left and the right brain together so that you're Mm. maximising the creative Mm. side of your brain with the organisational side of your brain. How does this work for you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. That's, that's a dance that I haven't quite perfected yet because I feel...
0: At least you know it exists. Many don't.
1: No, and I think... Well, it's very obvious to me because sometimes like now in this state we're in, there's so much going on, especially since the fires, that we're just getting inundated with requests. I feel like I've gone into admin mode. So my days a lot are juggling. They're emails, they're corresponding, they're doing talks. So it's not that part of me that loves to sit and be still and quiet and actually create the film or write a script. So I'm becoming more and more cognizant of, of making sure that I give myself that space and time, that to actually access that right brain and and, and feel and, and, and engage that creative part, I need to switch off my phone, I need to have boundaries there, I need to say no to all these emails. Whether it's going into nature or going for a walk or, or playing with my baby for a while, just actually flipping to that other part is where I'm at my most powerful, I think, and can create in a better way. But you know it's hard. You know, as, as you know, we're all pushed and pulled by the system these days. It's very hard to switch off. We're accessible. Um, there's always someone wanting something from us, so it can keep you stuck in that part. So, I personally have to consciously step away from that, whether that's meditating or going for a walk in nature. I actually have to make sure I diligently move from that left brain to the right brain. And there's really interesting studies now to back that up. Of you know, we've got doctors now in Scotland that are actually prescribing nature to their patients you know saying you've just got to go go out i want you to just go out on this weekend and walk through the forest you know and that's actually a legal prescription these days so more and more we're starting to understand that which is i guess the premise of 2040 again let's let's bring back nature into our cities let's grow far more trees and food forests because we're better for it we get our food locally it's healthier food the planet benefits it cools our cities like come on now's the time
0: it, it- has to be mentioned that of course our city was planned by Colonel William Light and who planned it with four thumping great pipelines all around it (laughs) as the lungs of the city. So he was ahead of his time.
1: Yeah and and to Adelaide's credit that they're untouched you know I think that's amazing they're still there and I drove in to WOMAD the other day with uh, Christiana Figueres who's the who organized the UN uh, Paris Accord and it's the first time to Adelaide and she said oh he's parklands around the city. And I I said, yeah, this was part of the the design. It was embedded for this very reason to get, elicit that exact response. And uh, yeah, it's just, you don't see that very often. And we're very lucky in Adelaide to have that. So uh, really trying to encourage more cities. And and thankfully they are. There's lots of um, councils that are talking about that now. A lot of them have got really interesting tree planting initiatives because there's, a, as I said before, just a range of benefits.
0: Life can be a collective affair. We've talked about your creativity, but your first job, after you graduated from NIDA, was working with the Australian Museum in the Bat Fantasy.
1: Oh, wow. The Fantastic Bat Fantasy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How did that help you (laughs) engage with your creativity or am I taking you too far on a long run?
1: No, I never never really contemplated that. But that was a really good, fun show and it was for kids and, and it was science. So it probably had a lot of influence on me when I think about it because it was disseminating science to a more palatable and accessible way and bringing it right down to a level that children could understand. So I think that's probably what i do quite well if I had to think of a skill that I'm good. So perhaps it all started with the Fantastic Bat Fantasy and I didn't even realise it and I need to reach out to that director and and thank him because I I haven't thought about that show since. But, yeah, it's funny how little things influence you and um, I've always loved that marrying of of information and, and facts Really love the challenge of trying to communicate them in an interesting way, or find analogies that could break it down and make it really fun or playful. Like I really enjoy doing that, and that's exactly what that show was. That's exactly what the sugar film is. You know, how do you make fructose metabolism in the liver interesting? You know, it's a, it's a challenge, it's and how I do you don't make call
0: that a challenge? Yeah,
1: and how do you make you know systems complex systems science around climate change? How do you bring that right down to a level that people can understand? So. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a text, I'll give him a shout out.
0: <laughs> I like it. Now, what's fo- what's changed since the release of 2040?
1: Oh, look in the in the bigger sense, I think uh, there's been an extraordinary amount of movement that's taken place in the last two years. Um, not obviously at a federal level in this country, but if you look at the Local council level. If you look at the state level, if you look at the business community, there's there's extraordinary movement happening there, uh, which really gives me hope. I mean, we've got I mean, South Australia, as you know, is probably leading this leading Australia in a lot of ways. I think that you're going to be probably 100% renewable by 2030. You have an interconnector now that's going to be you know e- exporting your excess solar. You have this virtual uh, battery setup which no one else is doing in the country that to sort of stabilise the grid and, and share that energy more. I mean that's. Terrific, And especially under a Liberal government, it has to be said, considering what's going on in the rest of the country. It's a a terrific achievement. Tasmania, we've seen recently announced that they want to be 200% renewable by 2040 so that they can export their energy to the mainland as well. So we are seeing some positive stories internationally. Um, You know, huge organisations like Goldman Sachs and the European Investment Bank are saying we're not going to invest in coal any longer. That's that's a stranded asset. We saw Equinor pull out of the bite. They're the third fossil fuel company that's tried to do that and it's just not viable anymore. So there is movement. Whether it's enough is the big question. We sort of, I don't think people quite understand the urgency. Um, All the scientists I've spoken to said we need to halve our emissions by 2030 um, and that's going to be a big challenge uh, given that uh, so far it's been very slow, that change. But I I really have hope in this generation coming through. I mean, we do a lot of screenings for the kids and have met a lot of these climate um, strikers around the world and just how articulate they are on the subject is quite extraordinary and how well organised they are. So even though they're sort of coming together and organising these strikes, it's the community and the connection they're making with each other around the world that's the thing they say to us is is the the most enjoyable part. They're learning about how to organise and meet up with people they wouldn't normally meet up in different cultures. So uh, I feel hope there and I think they are putting a lot of pressure on and, uh, a great story I often tell is that the CEO of Maersk, who's one of the biggest, well, they are the biggest shipping company in the world, they're a Danish company, that people might see their containers and they, a huge carbon footprint. And they, uh, their CEO spoke at the Climate Action Summit where we took the film last September and, you know, he said that we can't get employees out of the European universities now because they're saying, why would we work for you if you're destroying our future? So they've pledged to go zero emissions by the middle of the century just to get people to work for them. So that's real testament to this groundswell that is happening. Uh, again, when's the tipping point going to be? No one knows. It's never linear. Um, historically, it's never been linear. The suffragettes, the abolitionists, human rights, there's been a build-up of momentum and then there's a tipping point, whether it's Rosa Parks on the bus or whatever it might be. So it would be hard to argue that we're, too far away from that. I think there are so many little things going on that we might reach some kind of tipping point in the not too distant future. And I certainly hope so. And certainly all the signs, because that's all we do. That's all I do is spend my time looking at the solutions and the positive things. I I don't shy away from the urgency, but I'm certainly hearing a lot more stories than we get in the mainstream news. That's for sure. And I, my hope is that in the next sort of five years or so, we start boosting up those solutions and inspiring people and and show them that a lot of these changes aren't scary. This isn't about depravity. This is actually about enhancing and benefiting and getting healthier and strengthening our communities. There are lots of wins out of this change if we if we show people.
0: Enhancing is a very wonderful word because very much in your spirit, it's a very positive word. And one that gives hope rather than despair and, and numbing. There's nothing I can do. That's, um, how, that's, how
1: we, that's how we move forward as humans. We need the idea of a better outcome. That's what gets us up in the morning. There's hope. That's it. That's what drives us. So for some reason that just hasn't been part of this narrative around the environment. I understand why. We want to wake people up and go, you re- really need to act. But that's not what the psychology says works, you know. And I've spoken to scientists that have said, yeah, we're trained that that next graph might be the one that tips people over. And as I said, we're, just, we're, we're storytellers. We don't respond to facts and graphs and logic, you know. They don't move us to action. So we've just got to be a little bit more strategic. and, and
0: Move to yeah. action but also accurately informed. And I think that's one of the valuable things that you do with it. Mm. It's not just the film. It's mm. the educational resources mm. with the film. Mm. And I believe you were talking about that in the panel as well.
1: Yeah, so that's a big part of this sort of outreach campaign. We developed that we had um, 31 free lesson plans for teachers that are mapped to the Australian curriculum, so whether that's geography or science, that they can take a model and teach the concepts of the film to the students. And, you know, talk about proof. We've had 17,000 teachers across the country download those and so um, 700,000 kids have been taught those materials, you know. so And the feedback we get from teachers is, you know, thank you because – the kids are sick of hearing, if we don't do this, there'll be more plastic in the ocean than fish by twenty, you know, than by 2050. Or if we don't do this, our topsoil will be gone by twenty They're like, please tell us the things we can do. What are our careers at the future? You know, What are the jobs that might actually transform these problems? And let us be a part of one of the most incredible changes that the human species has ever gone through. I mean, that's what's at stake here. That's the opportunity we have. So I think, um, you know, we could start just reframing it a little bit and make it exciting.
0: We all need to reframe. One question. Mm-hmm. Did the making of the documentary change you at all?
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, without doubt. You know, I, the reason I made the film was because I felt quite despondent and, and hopeless, you know, especially having a two-year-old at the time. I've now got two daughters. But, you know, just meeting the people I've met and seeing the things I've seen in the last five years, it's, you can't, it's extraordinary what people are doing. We just don't hear about them. I mean, as I said yesterday, you know, in 12 hours last year, the people of Ethiopia planted 350 million trees in 12 hours. This is what we're capable of, human beings. That didn't make the mainstream news. No one reported that story. And it's an incredible human achievement. So these are the stories I want to tell my daughter and say, look what we can do. You know, Yes, things are tough and it's going to be challenging, but we're capable of extraordinary things. And that's hard for scientists to measure. That isn't on a graph. They're the unknown magical qualities that lie outside of that reductionist mindset. And that's not to blame them, but we've got to bring that into the discussion as well. You know, we need to
0: have all the skill sets. All the skill we, we need the hard science Correct. as much as we need the imagination and the storytelling and the the dreaming and, the and inspiration.
1: That's, that's who we are as humans. So, yeah, that's changed me in, in, in immeasurable ways. But even the impacts we've changed in our own household, whether it's the solar or we sold our car and bought a, you know, second-hand electric car that we charge and or the composting in the backyard or these little grow tunnels for our daughters or this beehive we've got, you know, little things we've done that have just been lovely and improved our lives and improved our connection as a family. You know, so I really think that that's what the film's about is this is an opportunity and this idea that you know, we've got to keep growing and we've got to have GDP at all cost, that myth is just busted now, that the fact that GDP equals happiness is just nonsense. There are countries around the world now that are, their metrics are around longevity or well-being far surpass the US and other countries and yet they've only got a fifth of the GDP. Mm. Like We just don't need three televisions and two iPads and two cars. This is the illusion but it's just not real. And what an opportunity to strip back.
0: We can certainly strip back. Um, what's going to be your next, pro- next project?
1: Uh, I don't think I could ever do something now that isn't under this umbrella. I really feel that we've sort of set up this network now through 2040 to put more solutions out there that it will be, that will be an umbrella for whatever I do next. I think that there are so many issues within that, whether it's, um, you know, I feel like our information environment is just as polluted as our... Environmental one, and how do we collectively make sense of things moving forward? That's, I think, a real challenge, and especially with issues like climate, that the stories are so muddled and mixed up that people don't know the truth anymore. I I find that's an interesting story. But the next thing I'm doing is a six part series that's a deeper dive on the solution. So we do a whole hour on agriculture, or a whole hour on oceans, or a whole hour on the economy all the things that I probably didn't get to put into the film and had to really condense um i'd like to just explore those in more depth and there's some really wonderful people that have reached out to say they'd like to do that and i feel like this series will have quite a big reach because of who those people are um internationally so yeah i I feel excited by that and there's so much more to tell you know
0: thank you i mean i think it's been fabulous no worries we hope you enjoyed this episode of the adelaide living podcast which is brought to you by the city of adelaide Discover more stories about people, places and projects having a meaningful impact on our city by subscribing to this podcast or visiting the Adelaide Living website at living.cityofadelaide.com.au.